Welcome back to another episode of Read My Mind Radio. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is G-R-E-I-D. Moving podcast by the GB. I'm your host and producer of this podcast, bringing you stories and profiles of compelling people impacted by all degrees of vision loss and, in general, disability. Plus, I occasionally explore my own experience around becoming blind as an adult. I try to present that in my own way, blending my words with audio and a little bit of sound design. A little bit. Before we get into it, you know. Moving. Doing it, you know. I want to send a shout out to those of you who subscribe to the podcast. I truly appreciate you. That simple act of hitting that subscribe button, especially if you subscribe via Apple Podcasts, increases the chance for others to discover the show. I don't know why, that's just the way they do it. One of my main goals in producing this show is to hopefully reach those who are new to the experience of blindness. Low vision, vision loss. I think the people across the Atlantic say sight loss. Maybe you're recently experiencing some form of disability. There's something for you here. It's a shift in attitude that's not based on change just to change, but it's based on experience. Experience from people who've been where you are and worked their way through it. People who accepted what they were given. People who didn't feel the need to overcome, but rather embrace and continue. If you're new to disability, let me send you a very warm welcome. A virtual hug going out to you. I'm talking about anyone impacted by disability, whether you are blind, low vision, maybe you're the spouse, parent, child, the friend. We got something for you right here. And yes, I said right here. So with all of that said, I hope you're ready because I want to introduce you to a new friend of mine who brings a different perspective to how we view accessible media content. I just hype myself up, and I hope you can feel that too. So let's go. My name is Cheryl Green. I am an independent documentary filmmaker and audio producer. She's also a strong advocate and maker of accessible media content, including subtitles, captions, and audio description. As an independent filmmaker, we see that's just one of the unique perspectives she brings to her work. What is your relationship with disability now? I like that question. It's so much nicer and more nuanced than what's your disability what's your diagnosis? Because disability experience is so much more than medical diagnosis. One of my relationships to disability is political. I'm always looking at cultural and political things from, you know, a disability rights and disability justice platform. Another relationship is that almost all of my friends and uh, significant people in my life are disabled people. And then because I like things in threes, my relationship to disability is that I have multiple invisible disabilities, but I'm not sure that invisible makes sense as a term. Non-apparent or easy to hide. Some of them are acquired and some are stuff that I was born with that has shown up later in life from 
kind of living as a knucklehead, and now it's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. There's a lot of stories right there in that, in that one <laughs> statement, living as a knucklehead. Oh, boy. But it's funny because that's the one that I was born with. It's a connective tissue disorder. And for me, it's very mild, but I have dislocations and I have chronic pain. I have chronic tendinitis, uh, ligaments that are overstretched. I was born with it. The knucklehead part is that I overdid it as an athlete. So just chronic injuries and stuff. But it's it's nothing as, as fun, as exciting as you think, oh, what did she do? Cheryl also experienced a traumatic brain injury that she says is indirectly related to the complications of the connective tissue disorder. Our conversation, however, focused on accessible media content, beginning first with captioning. Now I know most of you listening are way smarter than me, but I needed a clarification between subtitles and captions. Subtitles are just a typed out version of what people are saying. It's just words on the screen as the words are being spoken. Captions also provide uh, descriptions of the sounds and music, whether there's traffic going by, dogs barking. When possible, you can add in a description like whispering or tense voice. They should identify who's speaking and when the speaker switches. The thing about subtitles is that they actually assume that it's only hearing audiences watching a film that have subtitles because there's no indication when the speaker is changed. And if you're looking at a sunrise and two people are off screen talking and you just see sentence after sentence after sentence, there's actually no way to know who's talking and when the speakers are switching. And to me, I don't see how you can follow what's happening if you don't know when the different people are talking. Maybe you can't tell yet, but this subject has a special place in her heart. It's not just about words on the screen. I love captioning more than anything else that I do. One thing that I love about captioning is that it is so precise and so detailed and so tedious and repetitive. That just works for me. I look at captioning as part of the art. I do not think of it as a piece of accessibility that you have to add or want to add at the end. To me, it's artistic. I'm translating things. I can't literally caption every single sound that is in a, a piece of art. That doesn't make sense. It's not even possible to, to get it all there. So I have to make creative decisions based on what I think is most important from the creator's perspective and what I think audiences will want to get from something. I don't want to be like, speaks slowly, whispers quietly, birds chirp. I, I want it to be rich and lush, especially when the film or the show is rich and lush. I feel like it's my duty to make the captions as interesting and beautiful and artistic as the film is. For me, captioning is something that I can do in a move toward justice and equity. It is access to information, whether that's the news or pure entertainment or something that's informational, something that's on a social issue. It's about equity. It is not about just meeting compliance. I love doing it and I love what it can can bring to people and how it can include more people in, in media and in conversations. Captioning eventually led Cheryl to find an additional way to make media more inclusive and engaging. Through one more piece of access that's very artistic, very subjective, hopefully integrated into the art itself. Maybe that's not the way you're used to thinking about or even hearing audio description discussed, but that's what she's talking about. Cheryl recalls first thinking about AD after providing captions for a client and then reading their Facebook posts. 
Hey, my video has captions. Now it's accessible to everyone. This just wasn't true. You have to be able to read quite well and quite quickly to follow captions. <laughs> so, no, captions are not accessible to all people because not everybody can read in whatever given language they're in. But also, I looked at that and I thought, well, these captions are just visible on screen. And if you're not looking at the captions, they're not there. There's all sorts of benefits gained from captioning and audio description, and not just for the consumer. I think it takes a lot to acknowledge, you know what, I made a great film here, but I recognize that not everybody can access it because of the way I made it. There's a big piece of acknowledging this film is not complete until more people can come in. From a capitalistic sense, if you have great content and you want an audience, why not make your content more available to a bigger audience? It just makes sense. But I hate capitalism, so I do also value just more of a disability justice and social justice and equity lens to say people need to be participating in civic engagement, arts, culture, entertainment, and all of it. And what can I do to make that more accessible and available to more people? She's answering that question from multiple points of view. That's a caption and audio description provider and as a filmmaker. Following the brain injury, which impacted her ability to cook as well as organize, she did what anyone would do. I made a comedy film about it. Action. And it took off. Oh. <clears throat> Hi, everyone. Welcome to Cooking with Brain Injury. Today, we'll be cooking with brain injury. <laughs> I mean, cooking salmon with brain injury. Okay, maybe that's not what everyone does. No, the, the salmon doesn't have a brain injury? Well, I, I don't have its head anymore. I just mean that we have a brain injury. Bill and me, we're brain injured. How about that? Cooking with brain injury. How about it, Bill? All right, we're cooking salmon today, right, Bill? Right, Cheryl, I'm having fun already. A short film looking at daily struggles of life after traumatic brain injury with dark, honest humor. People loved it, and I've sold many copies of it. I have taken it to state and national speech therapy conferences. I've done continuing ed trainings around it. And it was totally impairment-based, and it was a window into my world. After other films around brain injury, she decided it was time to close that window. I realized I need to get out of the spotlight and get behind the camera and do more. Over the years, my films have become much less about specific impairments and much more about disability experience, experience of marginalization, and experience of self-empowerment and autonomy and decision-making. I do a lot of cross-disability work now. It was all brain injury at the beginning, but that didn't hold my attention because it can be so impairment-focused. Cheryl's first film didn't start out with captions or audio description. I didn't know about access at all when I started, but as soon as I found out that I could copy down the spoken words and put them up on the screen. Didn't look good, but those words were on the screen and I loved it. And then I got educated about captioning software. She became quite serious about the craft. I read up on the FCC guidelines. I love it when the FCC issues new guidelines and new recommendations. I, I'm, I'm there with those white papers reading them um, to make things the best that I can. I have seen some people criticize the FCC guidelines. For example, saying... I don't care what the guidelines are. I want to know what deaf people want. Number one, captions are not just for deaf people. There's a lot of different kinds of people who want and need captions. Number two, there were caption users on the committee that wrote the FCC guidelines. 
They're really good guidelines. They make for beautiful captions. They included actual consumers, actual caption users in their creation. And that's another reason that I really value them. You really are a caption nerd. (laughs) (laughs) I'm such such a nerd. Deep passion for a given subject. That's what separates the nerds from the rest. In this case, the passion is all about inclusion, social justice, and equity. I have a lot of clients, a lot of filmmakers who come to me for captioning and they have complaints about the way the captions look or they make requests that I find unreasonable and they're unreasonable because they are centering that hearing filmmaker who doesn't actually know what captions are or can't really articulate what captions are for. And I say your aesthetics around captions are not what I'm working with. I am working to serve caption users, and I have very explicit reasons why I make the choices that I make. I'll negotiate with you. I'll talk with you on the phone. But you have to understand that caption users come first, and I'm not interested in your aesthetic choices around the captions. If you want access, I'm going to make captions that are the most accessible that I know how to make. I get into fights with people all the time, and it's so much fun. Don't worry. No one's out here recklessly starting fights. This is all about advocating for the user. If content creators always included caption users and audio description users in their minds in their target audience, then it wouldn't be a thing. But it's specifically because people, whether it's willfully or they just have somehow remained oblivious through their careers, they don't even consider people who would benefit from the access as part of their target audience. That's why I harp on it. I would love to get to a place where it's just, we have to do color correction. We have to do sound sweetening. We have to trim off 35 seconds on this. We have to add the audio description. Boom, 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 boom. When it's just part of the practice, yeah, I won't have to be so political and I won't enjoy fighting with people. (laughs) But until we're at that day, for whatever reason, I enjoy being super fired up and, and political about it. The order in which you laid that out, where you said, okay, they have to do some color correction, do this, and let's add audio description. I want that thought about in the writing, because to me, the end result would be better. I still think that when it comes to things like audio description and captions, I think there's a charity model that starts off the process. Let's do this because... You know, it's a good thing to do for the people. Let's give this to them so they could be happy. If they thought about it as what you said, which is it's going to make our film better, not just because more people are seeing it, but it actually may do something better to the film. Meaning, if you think about audio description at the time of writing it, at the time of producing that film, chances are you're going to think of something that's going to enhance it. Oh, 100%. Oh, my gosh. I just got interviewed yesterday. They were like, what's the one take-home message that you want filmmakers to have? And I say, you put access in your budget in the pre-production phase. You put it in your budget so that there's no, oh, we didn't know. And then you always consider it. You don't just get the supplementary footage or the daily footage. Mm -hmm. There's kind of this idea that you find something beautiful, hold the camera on it for, you know, at least 10 seconds, get a good shot. You know what? Do it for 40 seconds because then when we're editing, there's the opportunity to say, you know what, let's stretch out this shot a little more because then we can put the audio description in. I am totally with you that if you are considering this stuff from the beginning, 
you're going to film it differently. You're going to edit it differently. It is going to be better. This is coming from an experienced filmmaker. When I filmed my documentary, and I was still new to this, I told my director of photography, I said, don't ever do extreme close-ups, ever. I don't want any extreme close-ups, even with the mouth off to the side, because we are going to have captions in every version of this film ever shown. I told the editor, I need you to put in spots, stretched out spots, where audio description can come in. Now, unfortunately, I wasn't trained in audio description back then, and so we didn't nail that as well. We didn't have enough stretched out spaces, and the audio description is not as lush as it could be. We did some re-editing, and we added in more space. I rewrote the script, the original audio description script, hired other voices to do it. As you watch my film progress over time, the same film, different versions, the audio description becomes more lush, more engaging, more honest, because now I understand audio description a little better. So there were things that were a little vague in the description. For many, such rewrites would feel like a chore. Like when her latest production, Who Am I to Stop It?, a documentary film on isolation, art, and transformation after brain injury, was selected for the Superfest International Disability Film Festival, the longest-running disability film festival in the world, co-hosted by San Francisco Lighthouse and the Longmore Institute on Disability at San Francisco State. Superfest is one of the few festivals worldwide that's accessible to disabled filmgoers of all kinds. I got an email from the director. Hey, we love your film. It got in. It got an award. But we had to stop during the screening a few times because our blind jurors felt left out by a joke in the film. It wasn't described well enough. She said, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be negative, but are you at all available to re-record? I suppose it's viewing this process as art. That produces Cheryl's response. Negative. This is the biggest gift in the world. Are you kidding me? Let's go. I rewrote several parts, but I specifically rewrote the part that people felt left out by. My blind audio description teacher helped point out some spots where she still felt a little bit left out or maybe even confused about what was actually happening. It's just more descriptive. That's how art should be. As you learn and develop your skills, it gets more wonderful. Wonderful. Like the time she described an improvised dance segment for a video podcast. It featured Antoine Hunter. He is a really phenomenal person. He's a dancer, choreographer, and healing artist. He teaches dance. He's marvelous. He's deaf. He is the artistic director, I think, of the Real Urban Jazz Dance Company. I've never done dance before. And it was so fun, and it was so exciting to try to get the dance moves and match them. And because he's deaf, he incorporates some sign into the way that he dances. I'm not fluent at all, but I'm familiar with sign language and I'm familiar with the role that facial expression plays in the grammar and expression of sign language. So I was able to make references to his hand gestures as being sign and references to his facial expressions. Antoine lively hops into place. Arms aloft, head down, he shimmies his hips in a circle, flowing smoothly into a modern dance of sweeping arm gestures. His dreadlocks pulled back from his face, they fly into the air as he twirls, then leaps. His arms glide through the air, fingers pointed, then open, then pulled together, a combination of improvised moves and sign. With a full ebony beard and wide eyes, his face mirrors the expansiveness of his body's motion. He spins, arms outstretched, he leaps. Hopefully you too by now should at least start to see the art. It's the familiarity with the culture 
that enables Cheryl to recognize such detail. Everything that I do has something about disability or deaf culture in it. I engage with it seven days a week, whether I'm making something or I'm reading or watching something. I try to immerse myself in the cultural aspects of deafness and disability. That brings a more lush audio description. That level of detail and equity goes as far as seeking input from those being described. I sent Antoine the script because it wasn't going to be in the captions for him to read. And he really liked it. And he corrected one part that he didn't like. It didn't feel fair to him. And he gave me words that not only feel more fair to him, but were more beautiful than the words I had chosen. It was so collaborative and so beautiful. When I'm describing what somebody's body looks like or how it moves, I send them my script. I ask them what they think of how I wrote it. Or I tell them, I'm going to audio describe this. Please tell me how you want me to describe what you look like. And sometimes people will send me a description that's not actually very visual. Like what? Like when I say, how do you want me to describe how you're moving? And the response is, a man with cerebral palsy. That doesn't give me a sense of how you move. But I asked and you answered. And Mm. I respect your answer. But it is tricky because the point of audio description is to give people a flavor of the visuals. And man with cerebral palsy, that's not very visual, is it? No, not at all. If it's your content and I'm describing you and that's all you give me, okay, that's what I'll use. When it's my content, I will expand upon that. I'll use their words as the starting point and expand to make it more descriptive and more visually oriented. Give me an idea of the types of things that you would include in a description of someone. I try to always describe something that relates to race or ethnicity. If I know how the person identifies, then I can use those terms. If I don't, then I might be more descriptive. For instance, I describe myself as a white woman, which is kind of descriptive, but not really because my skin tone is darker than any of my white friends. I'm the darkest person I know in my circle of white friends. So it's not super descriptive to say that I'm white, but it wouldn't be useful to say that I'm a brown woman because I'm white. I just have kind of light brown skin. If I don't know their ethnicity, I might say someone with a dark skin tone, someone with a fair skin tone. Sometimes I'll defer to hair, a woman with bright red hair. She's probably white if she's got bright red hair. Mm. Now, not necessarily, of course. Anybody could, right? (laughs) Not not necessarily. There are different reasons why somebody would have red hair, regardless of their ethnicity. What would make you choose their hair and what would make you include that in the description? I wonder, why did they say that? Why did they now tell me that this person is a black person or whatever? And I'm like, huh, let me see if this is going to be really necessary to the storyline. Yeah. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. And then it leaves me wondering why they made that choice and why they didn't describe the white person. (gasps) Okay. Okay. Get ready. Get ready. Okay. <laughs> this, oh my, I am, I cannot tell you how with you I am. So I'm going to describe something if it feels like it's relevant to the story or for political reasons. Just end my career now. If I ever put something out there where I say the black person and the person, meaning mm. white, I don't know if I'd ever recover from my remorse at doing that. Is and And I don't do, you know, a wheelchair user and a person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Yeah. If there's a wheelchair user and there's someone else standing, 
one person sitting in a wheelchair, one person standing. I make political choices. If one person's race or ethnicity or nationality becomes relevant at some point in the story, I am going to make a point to name everybody's so that I'm not singling one person out as the other or the weirdo or the outsider. There is no way that someone is ethnic and some other person is not ethnic. I just cannot even wrap my head around... I don't even know what ethnic food means. What? On, what? No, I will name them all or I will name nobody. And it really depends on the content creator, what they're going for, how much time there is. And yes, is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Is it going to make a difference to the story for me to know something about the ethnicities of the people involved? And is there time to get that in there? And if I can't describe them all, then I can't describe any. Or sometimes I will tell somebody, You need to stretch out that first scene because I have got to get this description in there. I have to. Movies, television are all a reflection of society. It's not surprising that the politics of the world impacts the way we think about and create access to content. There are many who believe that the best approach is to ignore race or ethnicity altogether. As Cheryl points out, the results don't lead to equality. I think when audio describers are shy, oh, I don't want to say those words. As an audio describer, your comfort and discomfort are not supposed to be part of this. You're censoring it for the viewers. You know, I was really, really moved by your episodes around Black Panther. There's the access piece. But also, one of the ways that we whitewash is to pretend like white people are neutral and just people. And so whatever we think is important is what's important. And yeah, they had some cool costumes in Black Panther. Okay, cool costumes, whatever. That's not fair. And it's so far beyond not fair. It really is a show of white supremacy to neutralize overt displays of culture that are not white. You erase them, you ignore them. That is white supremacy. And it's not okay. If the filmmaker did not erase culture, then the audio describer and the captioner really should not erase culture as well. Absolutely. Some people just feel like, oh, whatever, it's just a detail. No, we're talking about humanity, and we're talking about dehumanizing people, willfully dehumanizing people when we leave stuff out. Not only is she creating films, accessible content through subtitles, captions, and audio description, Cheryl produces the podcast Pigeonhole. Pigeonhole. As described on Apple Podcasts, Pigeonhole challenges the stereotypes that disabled people are all white, straight, middle-class people in search of a cure for their bodies and minds the way mainstream media would make it seem. Made by and from the disability community and censoring disabled people as the audience, Pigeonhole interrogates the assumptions and biases we hold about disability and embraces all parts of people's identities. She's also a fellow recipient of the New Voice Scholarship, awarded by the Association of Independence and Radio. Receiving that scholarship puts us both in a very exclusive group of some of the best audio makers currently making radio and podcasts. Oh, wait, hold on. They were so... Ah, crap. We are experiencing technical difficulties. Please stand by. Maybe not all of us. Mm. 
You can find Cheryl online at whoamitostopit.com. She tweets under that same name, which again is her latest production. Her films are available through newdayfilm.com. Don't forget to check out Cheryl's podcast, Pigeonhole. That's P-I-G-E-O-N-H-O-L-E. I especially like the episode titled, A Nap and a Bird. It's a short, well-told story that says a lot. We're continuing to advance our ongoing conversation around audio description and content access in general. Considering captions and AD as art, why shouldn't it be? It's the written word that has some pretty strict requirements, including the time constraints and a need to quickly convey a message. We're talking about talented writers and voice actors or narrators. Let's spread this way of thinking about accessible content. Let's push for content creators like Cheryl, whether independent or in the major studios, to see it as a tool to improve their storytelling. Then maybe we'll see it become part of the pre-production and be more of a reflection of the film's conceived vision. Looking at content through a social justice lens feels like it leads closer to inclusion. A big shout out goes to Cheryl Green. I really enjoy speaking with her and appreciate her perspective. I guess I'll go ahead and put this right here. I hope you'll hear more from her right here on the podcast in the future. You know, I still hope to hear more from you. I'm not looking for you to write me long messages about how much you love the show or how funny you think I am or how much you like the production or how much you think this podcast should be the top on the charge or how it makes your day when a new episode publishes. No. Who would want to hear any of that? I just want to know if it made you smile, gave you an idea, or maybe encouraged you to do something. I said myself, fake messages about all that other stuff, so I got it covered. Seriously though, holla back. We have the comments section on the blog, readmymind.com. The email, readmymindradio at gmail.com. The Read My Mind Radio feedback line, where you can leave a voicemail, 570-798-7343. That's 570-798-7343. If you don't want to call, you can grab your smartphone and record a voice memo. Voice and email the finished record. recording Ready. to at gmail.com. If you want to send a message but don't want it shared, just say so. It's all good. Subscribe. Apple Podcasts. Subscribe. Spotify. Subscribe. Google Podcasts. Subscribe. SoundCloud. If you mainly listen to the podcast via SoundCloud, I'm hoping you'll continue to listen, but I'm going to be moving away from that platform. I've been tolerating the interface in order to avoid the move to a new service. I may decide to keep one or two episodes available, but the best method for staying caught up, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, or wherever you get podcasts. I appreciate you listening. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show via Apple Podcasts and tell a friend to listen. Help spread the love, man. And remember, you can always visit readmymind.com. That's R to the E-I-D. D-D-N-S-B in a place to Like my last name. 
Peace.